from Rixie, this is Frameform, a show about movies, moving, and everything in between. I'm Hannah Weber. I'm Jen Ray. And I'm Claire Schweitzer. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in. It's another Wednesday, and I'm here with Claire Schweitzer and Hannah Weber. Hello. Hi, guys. Today, we have a guest host with us, Leslie Scott Zanovich. She's the founder of Youth Protection Advocates in Dance, Youth Protection Advocates in Gymnastics, and the Edify Movement. She is a cultural leader and change maker and revolutionary and force for good. You can find her at Leslie Scott Says on Instagram and Facebook. Leslie, thank you so much for being here. Jen Ray, thank you. I am ecstatic to spend some time with you all today. Thank you. So can you tell us a bit about your background and your perspective going into today's topic? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been a dance educator for 31 years, um, working as a dance advocate and activist um, through YPAD, Youth Protection Advocates in Dance for almost nine years, um, who is now led by Misty Lown, the owner of More Than Just Great Dancing. And um, I was on faculty at Millennium Dance Complex in Hollywood for 12 years, at Edge Performing Arts in Hollywood for 14 years. I've taught in 22 countries, was a professional dancer for 20 years, and I will be using all of that as my lens as we dive into this um, conversation. Um, and along with you, I've worked with a lot of children in terms of how it impacts their mental health and their holistic well-being in terms of social media. Every once in a while, a new app takes over and becomes massively popular. TikTok is one of the fastest growing and perhaps also one of the most controversial of these social media apps. With a tainted history of lawsuits under its former name, Musical.ly, and parent company, ByteDance. And actually, we decided to move this episode up in our scheduled list of episodes because what is happening right now is... Bananas, we could say. <laughs> I mean, there are Gen Zers just losing their mind that this application is being blocked. And we needed to report it now that about this application and why it's so controversial. And but also how it, you know, it's kind of creative and cool in some ways. You might say there it's topical bananas. Hey, Claire coming in with the puns, people. Well, what is your experience with TikTok? Because, I mean, it will become very clear throughout the episode, but I am not someone that's ever even had it on my phone. And even without any effort to engage in this, in fact, effort to avoid it, it still enters my daily life. It is just it is so hot right now. It is the thing that everyone's doing and it's infiltrating other platforms. I can't go on YouTube or Facebook, or out in the world without seeing or hearing about TikTok. And it's been this way for years now. I'm over it. Yeah, it's crazy how, I don't know, uh, Musical.ly was like kind of a thing around the tail end of Vine. It's just kind of funny that like this application is like totally taken over. But I'm a forever Viner. Never a TikToker, never have even downloaded it on my phone. I refuse. And for this episode, I decided to still not download it and just watch as many YouTube compilations as I can. I have had TikTok in intermittent parts of the last few years, but it's not something I use on the regular. Like I've literally like downloaded it on my phone and then tried to navigate the app, which to me is maybe I'm too old. Maybe I'm just I was born too close to the 80s at this point. But I've always found it insanely difficult to navigate. And it's one of those things where the more it feels like the more you relinquish control on it, the better time you're going to have because of algorithms and whatnot. But I mean, the first time I really became aware of it was when I was seeing so-called like TikTok aesthetics in other kinds of videos. So like the captions that are popping up like on different parts of Instagram videos or like the compilations on YouTube or the like. But yeah, I'm not someone who's used it. Um, I teach a lot of students who use it all the time. And um, I taught like a small dance film course to one of my classes and like a good chunk of them, the kids sent their class projects via TikTok videos. So 
I mean, I've dipped my toe in just to see what the fuss is about, but it's not really something that I've been um, all that involved with. My relationship with TikTok is really seeing, you know, the way that it's taken a primary frontline center space in my students' lives. I mean, I've been teaching for 31 years and obviously um, saw the dance industry before social media even came into the, um, you know, onto the stage you know, the progression of, you know, my space back in the day for those of us that are, that are older of the older generation, my space, and then Facebook. And then obviously, you know, Instagram, I don't laugh. You guys, let me, um, people are probably like, what's my space? Um, but you know, I mean, I think that the concerns with TikTok is it's kind of has, it's like this culmination of all of these problematic aspects of, you know, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, um, YouTube, and then it's just really like culminated in this one place. I mean, I think that for me, I've definitely seen the obsessive nature, um, which happens with all social media. I mean, we know from evidence-based research that social media changes the neuroplasticity of the brain, right? It changes the way that the brain is wired. The UCLA Brain Mapping Center down in Los Angeles did some really good MRI studies that showed, you know, brains on heroin and cocaine versus brains on social media. And that same area of the brain lit up that that is connected to substance abuse and addiction. So, I mean, we these things are not specific to TikTok, but I I mean, I do think um, the way the obsessiveness and the competitiveness and also the level of exposure to challenges, data mining, the way that I saw so many of my students being targeted by bad actors on Instagram, I think that, you know, it is just so much more even increased in that level um, through TikTok because they, you know, they always say, you know, the TikTok says their community guidelines is deeply committed to child safety and zero tolerance for behavior that could lead to child abuse and sexual exploitation, you know, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And then we really see, though, that that's not really applicable. And so I, I think that that's what's what's kind of disappointing to me is we have, you know, billions of dollars being made off of these platforms. And really, it, it's, it doesn't take that much scrutiny to see that it's about profit, not about people. And it's definitely about profit, not about children. Oh, absolutely. Like 100% on everything you just said. And one of the things that makes TikTok unique from all of these other applications we're talking about is that it's pretty much dominated by dance. Sure, there's like short form comedy and sort of sketch situations or slice of life, but there's a lot of dance on this application. So there's hardcore believers for and against it. And I hope we can cover arguments on both sides um, and also just peel back those layers about what are the potential risks? What are the potential ways that people are using this to leverage it for their careers? It's certainly a very contentious topic. Well, I think, you know, in terms of being able to really hold space for, you know, like like all the perspectives, I think we have to look at you know, something, something that, you know, as benign as a Barbie doll, right? I mean, it's like a doll's a doll, a Barbie doll is a Barbie doll. And then it's the relationship to the Barbie doll. It's whether or not you're comparing your body. I mean, there's a lot, again, of studies around, around Barbie dolls. And that's why we see that Mattel had to do a complete marketing advertising overhaul because we realized that there was no representation in terms of the way that women actually look in terms of body size, in terms of shape, in terms of occupational aspirations, in terms of um, of skin color, all of these things, right? And you really see that with TikTok. It's not t- TikTok is is TikTok. It's it's benign. It's a social media platform. It can't hurt us until we engage in it in a, in a relationship in a in a relational way that then either you know either gives us back something that could potentially harm us or something that can help us. So I think that that. You know, with, I, I don't know. I mean, for all of you, I, I really feel like with things like this, it's all about education. It's about education, 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 and then you can make an informed choice. And I think that's what's missing when when these platforms are are spending millions of advertising dollars actually targeting children. And that is really something for us as adults to to recognize that this is not a mistake. This is this is a this is the result they were looking for when they sat in those boardrooms and decided there's marketing strategies that they are going to get these consumer dollars, you know, coming from the most vulnerable, you know, members of our society, which is the youth. Oh, totally for sure. I mean, it's one hundred percent 
a strange uh, growth that we have been seeing with this application. But before we dive right into that, I mean, we've dipped our toe, maybe our ankle already into the water in this topic. But let's just start with the basics of like, how is dance being shown on this platform? I mean, we have challenges. We see some creative work of dance being used. But how have you been seeing dance being showcased, being applied, being, I don't know, celebrated on TikTok? As you said, I've been seeing a lot of like dance challenge sorts of things where people uh, essentially replicate dance moves either from a music video or from some uh, content creator source. And, you know, oftentimes people have their own humorous take on something like this. Like, I guess this is not specifically a dance challenge, but there's one challenge where people uh, recreate like a scene from SpongeBob. And like, essentially, it's like a match cutting exercise where people try to to move and then the actions continued, you know, through the SpongeBob SquarePants cartoon. But yeah, oftentimes you'll see replications of particular dance movements or particular uh, dances from the media. But also, um, kind of from a screen dance perspective, you'll sometimes see um, some very interesting hybrid inclusions of special effects and movement. And Hannah, you actually pointed out a video that I think highlights one of the upsides of TikTok where we see someone literally like creating an energy line with their movement with like one of those fireball um, special effects. I liked that one a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's a video platform. Why not use it to experiment with miniature screen dances? I mean, how can we normalize screen dance? Use social media like demonic platforms like this one. That's definitely one of the pro arguments for TikTok. It's that it has made dance so popular to even non-dancers. It's encouraged non-dancers to try dancing. It is a contemporary social dance. Like we can't deny that, which is pretty, and it's a, it's a global social dance as well. I mean, on a technical level, you usually have these portrait orientation videos. There's a lot of match cuts or like simple clear choreographed and edited transitions like it'll be a, a cut on action or something really smoothly um, and usually like narrative or kind of clever and I see a lot of filters and like animated filters and an interesting thing about the length of these videos and just the fact that they are dance is one they're visual and they're musical so they're not language driven or text driven so it's easier to consume content globally without that feeling of that barrier. And that's something we've talked about on the show. But then another thing about the short format and just the unique algorithm that TikTok has that other sites don't have is that it goes from a social graph model to an interest graph. So like Facebook is a social graph model. You input information and based on what you plug in, it then maps out possible connections based on that information. What the interest graph, what the TikTok one does, is it actually surveils your activity from the start, no matter what information you plug in necessarily, and it adapts very smartly, very quickly. And because the videos are so short, more data is collected. Ugh, it's so scary. Like, yeah, my gosh. Like, I mean, it's just like, how can you even work on any kind of device then, you know? Well, the data mining, I think, is obviously a global problem. And I think when we're talking about data of children, that's where we also even get, in, I mean, not that us here as adults are like, please mine my data and take my personal, you know, my, my PII, my personal identifying information and sell it so you can become a billionaire. Because, I mean, we need to also, you know, think about like the, the um, any time that there's this much money, you know, behind something like, I mean, the person who create that's behind you know, TikTok is uh, worth $16.2 billion. I think that TikTok's worth $76 billion um, or $75 billion. And, you know, that is off of our personal identifying information. Um, you know, so so when 
when you when you think about well what do people do why is data mining so bad like why is that something that we should be concerned about um and i think that when we talk about children it's it's because first of all there's not consent and you know a, a lot of these children engaging in these platforms with problematic settings there's they are not really capable of being able to have the consent that's required to understand how their personal identifying information, I'll just call it PII because that's you know the short term for it, is being used. And I feel that as children more and more become the biggest, the, the, the biggest um, you know, engagers in social media and that they themselves think it's free, right? I mean, think about when you were 12 or 13 or whatever the age was like, did you really understand advertising? Like, did we really understand like when something felt free to us, then in reality, it wasn't free because we were paying with our presence or we were paying with our data. You know, so it's I think that children are not passive consumers. I've always said this about kids like they are they are smarter than I will ever be because they're not so stuck in their ways. Their, their brain bandwidth, especially adolescents, you know, research shows that they are having a second wave of brain malleability. So they're having this second wave of being able to really bring in information and in a really kind of robust and vibrant way process it. So, you know, what I would like to see more of is really kind of, you know, for those of us that that might look at TikTok and say, this is a racket. You know, I think that through education, it, the racket can really be explained to, to, to the youth. I mean, I've seen the youth rise up in ways that has just been profound, where I am just like, wow, the energy, the intelligence, the thought, the creativity. And I think that that kind of that informed consent again, you know, I'd like to see us as adults, you know, try to engage youth more so that they really understand what's at the underbelly of, of TikTok. And I really appreciate everything that you guys shared about you know, just what is what is great even aesthetically about the app, right? The way that that TikTok is being able to be used as a vehicle to share and spread the love of dance into nooks and crannies of our universe that it might not otherwise have reached. But just like when dance, you know, dance increased by 500% over over the last decade and TV programs, right? And what we saw, though, is even though that was great, it, it you know, it, it really, there was more jobs. Dance was getting put into the, you know, the living rooms of people's homes. People were becoming fans of dance that, no, that you know, were not. But on the flip side of it, you also have to look and see, but what is the most viral dance that's being, that, that is being put into the living rooms of people's homes, right? And is it really, when we, if we want to protect the integrity of dance and we want to and we want to advocate for the purity and the innocence of dance because dance is so therapeutic dance is healing dance can be a primary way that a young person finds their identity finds their body love you know finds their their self-expression you know how much then do we give away the fact that the self-expression that's being peddled on, on a lot of TikTok platforms as the most appreciated because it's the most viral are actually the ones that are very hypersexualized to music messaging that truly, it's not even that it's just not good for kids, it's not really good for humanity. You know, a lot of divisiveness, objectification, um, stereotyping minority groups, you know, just a lot of this this messaging. So, so for me, you know, I am just like, is this is this really good for dance? You know what I'm saying? Like, or could we just keep trudging along and doing what we were doing, but kind of keeping control of the message? Exactly. <laughs> totally. If that makes any sense. Right. Right. Oh, so much sense. The most sense. <laughs> I mean, when we go into like just those like briefly talking about like those challenges, I mean, we're going to go there. Let's talk about Cardi B, the WAP dance. I mean, that is a very risque music video and for some odd reason they wanted to make that into a challenge on tiktok there's some that are like cool and creative yet there are some where they're just imitating it and you're seeing these children just dance these like very sexualized dances which i agree i don't think it's right i don't i mean we're in the t age of like everything is accessible which is a good and bad thing because it's so accessible and yet i mean that's why they're trying to do things with the internet where they you know censor it and all that which i totally understand but um 
it's weird as an age how turned up in the volume of sexualization through movement through these pop stars that are being played on the radio being played on mtv being played on youtube i i shouldn't even say mtv it's just like that's kind of irrelevant. I mean, people only really tune into the VMAs anymore anyway. Hey, Hannah, you listened to the radio, so you could have said tuning in on the radio and you'd be correct. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Or you're hearing it in the supermarket or something. But I mean, it, it's very strange to see we're at that point of like people that are literally gyrating the ground. And then you get those responses of moms going like, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. And I'm like, they they should be saying, oh, my goodness, and telling them to stop. Well, first of all, Hannah, I think you touched on a great point in that, I mean, again, one of the positive aspects of this is that more people do have access to this. And, I mean, I'm aware of, like, when I, you know, especially, like, when I'm curating dance film, like, when I'm playing Gatekeeper, saying, like, oh, no, that's not how you do it. You know, this is, there's a very specific way, way of doing this. But at the same time, what TikTok is doing to dance is the same thing that it really did with sort of like dance's move to television. Like it's really framing dance as a series of moves to master and really, you know, distilling them to like, oh, like a series of peaks rather than really finding one's own way through. Like it's really it's framing it as a form of someone's self-expression but it really is unilaterally putting that validity of the expression through the process of reenacting and recreating very specific very hyperbolic and very quite frankly inappropriate not all ages movement on the internet where everyone can see it exactly it won't go away and where everything's being captured, recorded, and stored. It is a nightmare. I am so glad. I mean, all of us on this call, fortunately, were able to have a complete childhood before social media. And I truly am concerned about everyone that is growing. I mean, even now, adults with it, but everyone that is growing up with it um, as a part of their lives. And as Leslie mentioned, like the neuroplasticity of their brain and the way that They are being wired for approval. I definitely want to shout out the film The Social Dilemma um, and specifically Jaron Lanier, who's in that film, um, just to give information about, yes, there's this idea of like these platforms for free expression. But like Claire mentioned, it's all these reenactments, you know, these these viral dances. And yes, Hannah, like they're not all ages movement. And I mean, I think everyone actually said that here, right? Like it's certainly not meant for children, which is a high uh, percentage of the usership. And another thing is, I mean, we could we could do a whole episode on cuties, but that's not this episode. I do want to point out that some of that movement that people saw clips of that they were so aghast at, not everyone, but a, a large percentage of the population, a lot of those moves that were so controversial, honestly, are the same as clips I've seen from WAP. So as long as we have a culture that celebrates videos like that and choreography like that and music like that, you're going to have younger people looking to those examples and imitating it. And it's difficult to draw those lines and those boundaries, um, especially with young people that are just trying to find themselves and uh, engage in culture. I think, you know, we've, we've used the word sexualization and inappropriate several times in this chat. And I I kind of want to take a second and like unpack that because I think a lot of times these terms are blanket terms and we're not maybe really considering like, well, where's, what's actually the humanity in these terms? And when we talk about sexualization and in YPAD, an organization that I founded, um, you know, we, we have this amazing doctor who is a specialist in sexualization objectification. And what the flip side of that is our culture is kind of wounded in talking about healthy sexuality, right? Which, which you know, everything in America, we have sex all around us, but yet it's very difficult for us to talk about intimacy and love, but we have no problem with intensity and lust being splashed all around in a very reckless, loose way. And, you know, I think that for me as a dance educator, one thing that Claire said that I just so agree with is that it's like, you know, what this is kind of, it's like dumbing down what we do into like this monolith, into like this one snippet of time instead of the process of what we do, which is we are in the business of growing children 
from sometimes when they are two years old to when they become, you know, an elementary school to a tween to an adolescent to then, you know, now I'm seeing, you know, my, I have students who now own dance studios. It's like, this is what, what I feel like for me, it's kind of creating this moment for us as dance educators, where we're having to counteract a lot of stereotypical myths about what dance is and about what the experience of dance represents. And I, I know a lot of people who see the WAP video and are like, I'm not putting my kid in dance. I'm not going to, you know, and see how dance is being commodified and used. And that breaks my heart. That breaks my heart that there might be children out there that, you know, their little magic fairy sprinkle dust where they were, you know, shaking their little tushy in, you know, in their diaper in their living room when music came on. And then their parents think that dance isn't safe enough to put them in. And so I think that there, there's a consequence to this that is probably bigger than what we can see right now in 2020. And I, I do, you know, definitely, you know, agree with you, Jen Ray, on, you know, Dr. Roberts, um, you know, says that we don't get to clutch our pearls at um, cuties, but yet be culpable and complicit in all the other ways that we are sexualizing and exploiting children, not just in dance, but in many industries. Um, you know, when we, with the cuties thing where people were like, this is fodder for pedophiles, but we have children themselves filming themselves thousands of videos a day on TikTok and YouTube that is, um, as you said, Jen, just fully accessible. So I think that this is um, much bigger than any, obviously, one moment or film. Um, and, and you know, my concern with the, the whole, the, another thing with the WAP and the videos that are going viral is I have spent so much of my career trying to educate and create a, an environment of body inclusion. And that the thing is that dance actually has nothing to do with what our body looks like, but what our body feels. I think we're getting away from that. When I look at the viral TikTok videos, it's very clear we're continuing to peddle aesthetics, 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 aesthetics. This very narrow definition of sexy. You know, I mean, who's to tell? I know so many women that feel sexually empowered that we don't even think about our bodies because we are so beyond our sexuality being what we look like. And that really breaks my heart for young kids who are being taught that, that it's almost like their self-driven sexual exploration is being hijacked. And there's going to be a consequence to that. We've already seen it in YPAD. There's a consequence to that. Well, and speaking of your um, amazing initiatives and education and not just calling out the problems, but um, calling other people into your mission and getting the message out there and providing solutions, um, I do want to drop a, a quick resource. This is going to be linked in the show notes. We do have TikTok tips for parents and for dancers. Um, and YPAD does develop like ongoing resources as these things uh, emerge, especially in popular culture. So check out that link. And also thank you, Leslie, for being uh, such a pioneer at this because dance has no governing body. And um, my God, like the thousands of people that have positively benefited from YPAD certification and education and all of your initiatives is just what an amazing ripple effect. Well, I mean, Jen, come on, couldn't have done it without you, lady, you being an advisory panel member. And obviously, you know, Misty Lown, who's the new leader now, um, when I stepped down as executive director, like I'm still an advisory panel member and obviously very involved. But, you know, we have a whole mod. I mean, I don't know if, Jen, you remember that for years I ran social media fast with kids and we did the we did the first of its kind social media study with dancers where me and Dr. Roberts, um, you know, who's the sexualization um, specialist, she's a, a research psychologist. We took dancers off social media for three days and we did a pre-survey and a post-survey. And then we gave them curriculum in those three days to do activities that require relationships, eye contact, community service, and self-care. And it, you know, self-esteem is not supposed to move, like self-compassion can move. But we saw in just three days off of social media with these kids that their self-esteem raised, their self-compassion was increased, and so important, their body shame was decreased. That's awesome. I mean, that's going to these bodies, ages, appreciation, going back to like what, I mean, dance studios are striving to do with dancers is like, you know, changing the way they feel, feeling empowered and all of that and looking at the aesthetics of TikTok. I mean, it's kind of at this point of like, is everyone a dancer on TikTok? Or can we consider like their dance, the choreography, 
is what makes them get more views and how is that you know come into the play of appreciating dance like what do y'all think about that like what is dance doing on this platform i think the key word and i think the key word through i mean throughout and let me especially when it comes to hybrid forms ownership 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 and how it's so difficult to point where the origin of um whatever trend or whatever practice lies and yeah there are a lot of um questions raised about this because we do have you know these so-called tiktok celebrities who essentially make their career and make a living off of replicating other people's dance moves and appropriating other people's dance moves and this leaves such a huge gaping hole when it comes to appropriation as well and a lot of a big trend is i see here and i don't I know I'm not coming from maybe the most qualified place to say this, but there is almost like a trend of anti-blackness in a way where we see a lot of young, young dancers who are, you know, appropriating, appropriating aesthetics almost as if it's something that they can take, as if it's something that they can take without any understanding of what the origin or what the impetus behind the original movement was like. Yeah, a lot of that going on, which is so so weird. Well, I think also, I mean, anti-blackness, absolutely, but also like anti-recognizing the lineage, the lineage and the deep ancestry of cultural dance, and then taking movements from Afro-Brazilian, you know, Afro-Brazilian Caribbean and dance hall and soca, and and then and then completely, you know, filtering it and shredding it through the sexualized lens, and and coming up with this version of it that has absolutely nothing to do with the, with the cultural roots of the movement. And, you know, I look at TikTok and I look a lot of the movements in TikTok and, you know, for those of us, you know, and Jen, you have a lot of, of, you know, history and culture background of this too, you know, that have um, been able to be blessed, to be touched by, you know, really deep rooted cultural dance styles. You know, I remember teaching in Uganda and there are children in church worshiping, gyrating their bodies, shaking their hips, moving their, their bottoms, you know, shaking their whole bodies. And, and it is literally, they're smiling with amazing, you know, amazing spirit and energy and it's to drums and there's nothing sexualized about it. There's nothing objectifying about it. It's so pure. It's so organic. And we have a lot of those movements, what's happening. And this is where I get worried about like the cancel culture in our society in America about how like everything to do with sex in the body, icky, gross, icky, gross, unless it's like sexualized and objectified is I know that there's some dance studios who like from the neck to the hips, they just want to cancel it out because we can't unmesh the fact that that movement is actually not innately sexual. That movement is, that is, that movement is beautiful. It's how all of us danced when we were, when we were toddlers and we were little and, and you, and then you see it being appropriated in such an abusive way on these formats that it just, it, it, again, it's like, so studio owners, because these students don't know the history of that movement. So the only thing they can come with is this TikTok sexualized version. So then studio owners are like, you can't move your hips like that. You can't move your body like that. No gyrating, which in re like, so, so now we we're canceling out half of our body as dancers and, and that, and I hate that message for children that moving any part of their body is wrong or bad or dirty. I don't, that's not healthy for children in the way that they're growing into their body autonomy. So I think a way to fix this is that, you know, if we can somehow try to encourage these teachers that are proficient in these dance styles to, you know, get on there and be as loud as on TikTok as you can, you know what I'm saying? To like give, give like an alternative view of what this movement really is about. And I hope that I just made sense in how I explain that because it's a little tricky, but I hope that that makes sense. No, totally. I mean, I love teaching jazz because I can help um, clarify the, like broaden the perspective that it's not just quote unquote sassy. And I love teaching Brazilian jazz to my younger kids because yeah, you move the shoulders, you move the torso, you move your hips and it doesn't have to be sexual. And I think the problem with a lot of this choreography is it's so extreme that you are stripping away any sort of trace of the original imitating it and it's sexually it's not even suggestive it's illustrative it's showing everything there's nothing left to the imagination and part of what we call uh the the 
issue that we call this is the um, compound effect, right? So it's not just the choreography. It's also what's the lyrics? What's the music or the sound effects? Who, who else is in the video? What's the energy? Any sort of self-touch. So like placing your own hands on yourself or touching other people. Like we saw a video that Hannah sent today and this girl like her, introduces her friends with a smack on the butt. So it's like very respectful and empowered friends here. And just the energy towards the camera and the gaze. Like there's just all these layers there that contribute to the tone. And unfortunately, I see with with even just TikTok videos that are honestly like a match cut of people changing outfits with like a simple movement is the extent of the choreography. And the worst part, I don't, as I said, I don't even have TikTok. This is like I go on Instagram and I see this garbage or on YouTube and there's reaction videos and compilations like it permeates everything. It's crazy. I I want to say this, though, like going into celebrities like that have made themselves known on TikTok specifically just or I mean, celebrity TikTokers, I should say, uh, Charlie DeMarlo, DeMarlo, D'Amelio. I don't even care about this girl, Charlie D'Amelio. <laughs> <laughs> but all I have to say is some of these TikTokers that do these dance routines on there, like they um, they limit themselves to to just the the portrait mode of the screen, which and, and people are like, yeah, they're like they're good. And I, I kind of I have to think it's like, why? Because they're wearing like they're they're wearing a crop top and they have their nails done and they're only like moving. They're moving their arms very fast. Like, what about all the other parts of the body that we just said? I mean, it's just like it's I mean, it's pedestrian, but also it's not well thought out at the same time it's very gimmicky it's fast food we keep talking about the cultural fast food it's just this gimmicky popular lowest common denominator easy read easy to copy and imitate waste of time well okay can we can we just because i i we have to kind of bring this into what is one of the most amazing moments of of confidence building in a child when we are dance educators or even in ourselves is the freestyle. It's the freestyle. It's when you have, it's when you improvisation, it's when you finally realize this isn't about the latest trendy move. It's not about copying. It's not about mimicking. It's not about mirroring. It's about you just went out there and you busted a move, how you naturally, that only you can do with your own little spirit swag signature and you felt good about it and you felt confident about it. And, and we've all had those moments. It's like this, this is interrupting that by saying that the actually, actually the way that we engage in dance is we mirror it, we regurgitate it, we replicate it and the beat goes on. And, you know, we saw this in other social media platforms, but that like even just organic creativity is dying in terms of, um, of this whole idea that the way to the best way to engage in dance is mimic, 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 mimic. And then where is that? Where's the confidence in that? Or where's that organic creativity? And I think that when we talk about the celebrities, I mean, this isn't just on TikTok. This is anybody that has a platform. I mean, this can be, a, this is a teacher because, you know, we, we are the children's local celebrities, whether it's a dance teacher, or a science teacher, or what have you, we kind of, it's, it's a moment of rec reckoning for educators or for mentors to really decide how we want to exert our influence. You know, we here in the U.S. alone, and you can research country to country, different, you know, kind of demographics um, and aggregate data of the, back, of the breakdown of TikTok users. In the daily users, one third of the daily users on TikTok are 14 years and younger. One third, 18 million users a day in our nation is 14 years or younger. Don't we have a responsibility or at least the billionaire that created this and the billion, you know, the, the $75 billion company, I double checked myself that TikTok is worth $75 billion. Do we have any responsibility here to, to curate, to really understand that this is damaging and that we can really put children in a, in a place where they are being targeted, 
where they they're not where their holistic wellness, their mental health. I mean, mental health and social media. There's tons of evidence based research about how social media is creating anxiety disorders, body dysmorphia, encouraging eating disorders, um, sexual promiscuity. I mean, all of these things, even um, you know, uh, racism. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. So, so when when is it time for us to hold people accountable? Well, and it's a grooming tool as well. One thing that I think is so important is for people to understand that there is a whole demographic of strippers that are actually being exploited that are. And I've worked with them. I worked through a nonprofit called Treasures in Los Angeles. And what we would do is we would go into strip clubs and we would ask the women if this is like, is this really your choice? If this is truly your choice and your occupational aspiration was to do this for a living, more power to you. But if you are here because you are being threatened, you are being intimidated, you are you are dealing with a, an addiction, so this is the only way that you can feed your addiction, you have children at home and you are a single mother and this is and you have no financial support and this is and our society has set up a system where selling our bodies is the is the is sometimes the only way that we can make a living wage. Then what our nonprofit did is we it was we gave those women free housing, free education, and helped relocate them to a different occupational aspiration. Now, how many kids that are dancing to WAP and listening to Cardi B see that side of that career choice? Probably none. So I think that we have to listen to how occupational, uh, you know, the American Psychological Association did this amazing research study, their task force, when children are sexualized, they shift their occupational aspirations from, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a politician, I want to be an educator, I want to be a librarian, I want to be fill in the blank, to I want to be a model, I want to be an actress, I want to be something that that the that the the number one qualification is what you look for. And all you actresses and models that might be listening to me, I am in no way downing that as a legitimate career choice. What I'm saying though is when it is hijacked that a child chooses to do that because they're seeing, wow, when I use my body, I get all this attention. Then we have a consequence to society because society is going to miss out on those young females and those young males as politicians, as dancers, as doctors, you know, as contributors to our society. So that whole stripper thing that's happening about elevating it, I've seen the dark side of that. And it ha- and it really, it, I have to, I take issue with it. I take issue with it because there is more than one side than this this glorified Cardi B stripper mentality. I totally agree with all of that. I think that it needs to be taught to audiences about a lot more and musicians nowadays that are like you've said exploiting it is not the way to go to share that to the public. There's much more healthier ways on giving that information out and educating them. And I mean, it just so all of this kind of goes into what we're saying here is just like, why is dance a part of this social relevance in the end? Like, why are we getting dopamine off of expression? Why do we need this? Why are Gen Zers needing this in this day and age? I I don't want to attack all Gen Zers, (laughs) but like... It's just like, I, I, I don't know. I, why, do, why do they need this? Why does anybody need that like? I mean, it's the same thing with Instagram. In Canada, we call them Gen Z. <laughs> uh, we've, we've had a conversation like this before where, you know, we talk about influencers and how they, you know, strive off of making a dollar off of these likes, these views these subscribers and I mean it's not it's definitely not the right way of saying like I'm being appreciated because I can move in such a way and it's like no that's not how you should be gaining that social or social exception you shouldn't have social exception at all like that should be like you're doing it because you like it I mean it it, Leslie it's like what you were saying like people feel the truest and the most like high we could say when they're doing free movement improvisation freestyling movement and why do we have to record that right and their obsession is not on 
a third person spectator because they're so absorbed in the movement, they don't even know who's watching. You know what I mean? Like that's freedom. I mean, it's just should be like a celebration of movement. I mean, like when we talk about is TikTok the new dance appreciation platform, we could say sure. But I mean, that leads to a lot of also other controversial answers. The thing about TikTok is, I mean, based on the platform and sort of the interface, I think it has potential to be a great tool for dance appreciation and for dance film appreciation as well, because it does provide for most people a user friendly method of recording and creating their videos. But as Leslie's mentioned, that is that's being hijacked. It's almost like that, you know, again, that notion of accessibility and that notion of sort of like you can become your own almost like an almost like an MLM idea like you can become your own boss kind of thing gets you know gets hijacked in a way and it's it saddens me because I think that again like there's a lot of potential and certainly a lot of potential for it to actually be a tool but it's you know there's so much nefarious extrania around it that it's it's just damaging let's just kind of toss this around, right? Because, you know, we're asking what, I mean, Claire, what you just said is so true because everything has the potential to be amazing. If that is the, whoever is leading it and curating it and, and nurturing it and growing it has those intentions. So the creators of TikTok is ByteDance. That's the name of the organization, B-Y-T-E Dance, ByteDance. They're a hundred billion dollar company as of May, 2020, hundred billion dollar company. If we were to ask them to do the right thing and actually create regulations on their content, policies about their content, they would lose money because sex sells, children sell, bodies sell. And so I think that that it's this is I mean, this idea of commodifying children and exploiting children's sexualization this is, again, something that's been happening way before TikTok, right? So it's like it's not like TikTok created this. TikTok was just like, let me give you a home where you can really go on steroids on this idea. And just another thing in terms of, of like how, the, you know, how I was like, this is not on accident, you guys. Like this is this isn't just, a you know, this big accidental thing, you know, that I don't know if you guys know that. Kevin May, I think Meyer is you how his how he says the head of Disney's streaming business actually now joined ByteDance in June of 2020. So now you have somebody who is the head of Disney's streaming business, and Disney is supposed to be, you know, you know, really somebody who is creating content for the youngest of, of our young now is going because of money, because of lucrativeness, because of commodification, commodifying the attention span of kids is now, I mean, this is, this is purposeful. This is purposeful. Um, I believe it's purposeful. I don't think, I don't think that this is any of this is, um, I think this is, is this is like this brilliant, you know, quotes marketing team that has figured out how to make billions of dollars um, in this way. So um, yeah, who, uh, you, Claire, did you um, want to ring in on that? Yeah, and I think that there's sort of like, I guess the literally the legal term is CYA provision in a lot of these apps is that, you know, if something is is amiss or if something doesn't quite seem right, then, you know, individual regions or individual countries can just take care of that and just, you know, do it on a case by case and regional region by region basis. But when like the parameters are deliberately unclear on that, then that can lead to a lot of um a lot of risks and a lot of international, internationally associated risks as well. So as many know, um, and as it's been in the news lately, there's been a lot of controversy on TikTok about the risks of, of data mining and um, the risks of privacy protections in when it comes to uh, TikTok. And we've discussed this a little bit before. Once your image goes online, it, it stays online. And there are very, um, there's a lot of gray area when it comes to uh, copyright and especially copyright of internet content. So for instance, if someone posts a picture on Instagram, that technically is not, like they technically do not have copyright on that image. Instagram technically has copyright on that image. 
when it comes to TikTok, when they take your image, like when your image gets put on the app, there really is no clear answer as to what is done with it or what can be done with it. There's a phenomenal dance, uh, not dance film, but a dance tech uh, scholar named Sydney Skybetter who teaches at Brown University who has an entire lecture on how uh, surveillance technologies can you know, capture your data and do or capture your image really and do whatever they can with it. I think you guys have seen it's one of those apps where you can literally like transpose your face onto someone else's body and like recreate. There's like one video that literally um, takes Misty Copeland doing, I think it's one of the, like one of the Tchaikovsky variations and you know, someone else's body is transposed on that, which again, leads a lot open to ownership. Like, I mean, not only who owns the original movement, is it the Balanchine Trust? Is it, you know, Misty herself and her image? Is it, you know, Balanchine's choreography? And then when that gets transposed, that any notion of ownership or any notion of, you know, one, honestly, one's movement being one's own is completely, you know, thrown out the window. Well, and then there's this tension between getting your your work or your creativity out there, but protecting your intellectual property or your image. There's this balance between what do, what are people free to do, but what are the risks? And I think it's worth mentioning that as we're recording this, the U.S. has said that they would ban TikTok and WeChat, um, both which are Chinese-owned apps. And we're not the only, um, and I say we because all of the four of us recording live in the United States, but we're not the only country. Um, India, Australia, South Korea have already banned it. And I wonder what other countries will follow. So, I mean, without getting too in the weeds on it, um, it is worth mentioning that we've we've talked about... Um, these these risks that are not just a personal security risk, but potentially national security, like the U.S. government employees were were not allowed to have the app on their phone. Um, it's it. And when something like that is banned, you know, it's serious and that there there's got to be something to it. It's not just, oh, we don't we don't like this company or we don't like this government. So we're going to put a ban up there. There really is some sort of actual risk. Um, and it'll be very interesting to see what actually comes of this by the end of 2020. And I'd be really interested just if anybody's willing to share your thoughts on that, because, you know, if this happens, this is going to be the first of its kind moment where something that we have. I mean, Jen Ray, how many years have we been talking about the impact of social media on our on our on our dancers and us? And it's like feeling like, like not only is this this uphill battle, but it's getting worse and it's getting, and it's, it's becoming a mountain that is like insurmountable because it's almost like it's become a fabric of our DNA and we don't know how to get rid of this appendage. So, I mean, what, what is everybody's thoughts on this? Because, um, you know, obviously there's these ideas of censorship, but we see censorship all over censor, the Instagram censors. Facebook censors. I've been I've been censored on Facebook because you know what? I have committed the crime of saying that I think vitamin C is good for the immune system. Um, <gasps> what? And they, and they took that article down. Yes, that's yes, funny. That is so. I so I was like, this is my first. I was like, I was like, oh my goodness! I was just censored because I I was so so. I'm just you know these companies. They're privately owned companies. They have the right to censor. Do you know what I like? They're, these are privately owned companies. So, so where's everybody's like thought on this? I know, I know it feels like a cop out to say it's complicated, but it, but it is complicated. I think that there are some genuine risks with, um, putting inherent risk, putting your image online and especially in a way that is so, um, unregulated and kind of sketchy with regards to how that image is being used. But it also, when a platform is taken away, then a key voice is also taken away. I mean, I'm just thinking when it comes to moments of protest or moments of social activism, a lot of people do use TikTok and do use TikTok as in a moderately successful way in order to do that. And there are ways that people have used it to to educate others about either a culture or about, you know, something else going on in the world. Like there's a actually a fantastic, I mean, a fantastic TikTok feed, TikTok feed. There's actually a fantastic TikTok feed, which I didn't think I'd say in this episode, 
of a, a Canadian-based Indigenous dancer who it, you know, really comments on you know comments on his culture and comments on um, his practice of moving in a very interesting way. So I think that it. I mean, I think that there are absolutely genuine risks associated with it, and I'm not sure a unilateral ban necessarily negates those risks either, um, considering there are so, so many other ways that the, they manifest in other platforms. Well, and I think it's worth mentioning the ban is, uh, it has its limits, right? Like everyone that already has the app downloaded will still be able to use the app, and it's a it's a restriction on any updates. So I wonder if in response to that, TikTok's going to try and figure out some way to like update it without updating it or like update it so much before the ban takes effect that people won't need to update for a long time. The word's already out. People are already working on or moving to the next platform. You can't stop this. So even though it's not going to live on this app, people will continue. Hopefully we will look at this uh, as a moment in time and remember what an influential platform it is and it will cycle out because honestly based on what we talked about today and um, what the majority of the activity is and and just the extent of the personal and the big picture risks I'm absolutely in support of the ban and yeah I'm I'm interested what the result will be but I'm sure people are already on to the next one this isn't going to change much unfortunately well, I mean, I don't, I, I totally, Claire, you, I really love your nuanced response. I mean, it is, it, I mean, to say, well, it's complex. Yeah, it is complex. And Jen, I, Jen Ray, I, I like your courage where you're just like, yeah, I, I would support the ban. I will say this, that for any of us that have ever actually worked on legis- legislation, which I have, and has gone down and, you know, law, you know, been a grassroots lobbyist to try to get laws and bills and, you know, and, you know, you know, I've testified in front of Congress and in the Senate and the House on tons of different issues that are important to me. Um, And I will say, like, consumer protection is so important. And I look at this as a consumer protection issue. Um, When you have a third of the U.S. daily users, 14 years or younger, 18 million children a day, being on this app with the problematic aspects that we've, I think you, you all have so eloquently laid out today. I don't think we're going to get a, a, you know, bite dance, hundred billion dollar company, TikTok, $75 billion t- company, you know, cr- you know, the creator were $16.2 billion. I don't know how I just remembered all that, but, um, but I, I hope that I got that right. I don't think we're going to get them to have a moment of a, a, to define their moral compass unless we put pressure. Totally. I mean, we will see what happens. I wouldn't be surprised if this application gets bought out from somebody else and it gets turned around. It gets cleaned up. I mean, right now it's like New York City back in the way, way back when, when people were riding and killing each other for no reason whatsoever and they did something about it. And I think... There is definitely a solution to every garbage fire that is out there, (laughs) I will say. That would be so amazing, Hannah. If that actually happened, that could set a precedence that we have never seen before. Do you think it's going to be Google or Facebook that buys it? Well, they're saying like either Walmart or Oracle. I mean, I mean, we will see what happens, but I... I mean, I'll admit, I used to be someone that's like, regulate the internet. That's dumb. And then now I'm kind of like, oh. Then TikTok came out and then, you know, definitely made you made me rethink about things. But, you know, I mean, I'm I'm trying to think. uh, Claire, you definitely said some wise words about activism and like self-expression. But, you know, there has to be. I'm going to say, it. I mean, there's got to be a, a rule book on these things. You got to have some limitations. I mean, that's why we go to school. That's why we are always craving learning. And, you know, that's all we can do in this time. And I think what TikTok is going to have to do is relearn some things to, uh, turn it around so we shall see but uh we want to 
wrap things up. I think we've definitely dove into some heavy, heavy, but also great topics talking about this controversial celebratory kind of tool that everyone is talking and singing about. I've been hearing a lot of music that just is even referencing TikTok, which I think is just shows how influential it has become in this day and age. But um, Leslie, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your knowledge and your views. And I think you were very valuable today. Yeah. I feel like I just got a free Internet Ethics 101 course. Guys, this is why she's my mentor slash fairy godmother of dance. Oh, Jen Ray, you well, you are all blessings. I so appreciate the conversation. Um, you know, I'm always seeking to, you know, I don't want to be a part of cancel culture. I want to be a part of conversation culture. So I really appreciate that you all held space for this conversation and that you let me be a part of it. So thank you to all of you. And thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Like, subscribe, share this episode. Um, check out our other episodes. We do like talking about uh, topics in history and the evolution of dance film and screen dance, but also just relevant cultural conversations like this one, which, as Hannah mentioned, we even like pushed up in our show schedule because it's it's happening right now people so thank you for listening and send us an email at frameformpodcast at gmail.com and follow us on instagram at frameformpod frameform pod to stay tuned on all of our upcoming conversations claire hannah leslie thank you so much this was awesome thank you all that's this was this was great thank you so much Want to know what's going on in the dance film world? Here are some events to check out this week. Dance Cinema's online program, Quarren Screen Dance, is launching tomorrow, October 1st. Check out a curated playlist of films made during the global pandemic, including mine, The Sheltered Adventures of Quarantinia. All films and info are at dancecinema.co. There's also an open call for the No Box Dance Film Festival, a multi-country live event. The window for entries is open from now through October 14th, so find them on Film Freeway and submit your film for consideration. Links for all events mentioned are in the show notes. All right, pick of the week. Every week we have an awesome pick from one of us. And this week we have... Claire! Yes. Um, so my pick of the week is actually, um, well, primarily a music-based thing, but it does have a visual component, so that's why I'm picking it. And that is the new Fleet Foxes visual album, Shore, which was just released on their uh, website. So I um, have been a fan of Fleet Foxes for, oh my God, 12 years now. <laughs> I'm old. Third. You They're have really an intimate good. relationship with them. <laughs> yeah. It spans over a decade. Yeah. And um, I, yeah, I've been a huge fan of them for a very long time. And a friend of mine in college um, beautifully termed um, music from Fleet Foxes, as well as similar bands, Sad Man in the Woods music. <laughs> mm, yeah, that's a good Accurate. term for that. Accurate. Yeah. And I, I am a sucker for Sad Man in the Woods music. Um, I mean, give me like some someone strumming out their baggage in a you know log cabin in you know Father upstate John Wisconsin. Yes. Pony bear. <laughs> yeah. Or the, or so yeah, either either in the woods in Wisconsin or somewhere like in Laurel Canyon. E- either way. Um, yeah. I'm a sucker for that. I'm also a huge sucker for 16 millimeter film and this. Um, this was like candy to me. I'm so happy to have another album to um, put in my rotation and um, look at some pretty, pretty images along with it, too. This was the total opposite of the music videos we talked about in our music video episode, but also all the TikTok stuff we talked about. 
I mean, it's long. It's the full album. It's not people centric. You're looking at zoomed in flowers and horses, which is amazing. Um, it's beautiful. It's moody. It's relaxing. It is all these excellent things like sad man in the woods or uh, sad girl crying at the window pane type of moody uh, soundtrack. It's just like so ambient. I would love to play this like on a projector or like a large screen in my wall and just like have it going while I do something else that's not too demanding on me. <laughs> you just gave me an idea. I might actually try that tonight. <laughs> do it. Let me know how it is. <laughs> I'm happy Fleet Foxes are back. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, if you actually want an antidote to TikTok or to YouTube or really to the world in general right now, check out this visual album. The link is in the show notes. Frameform is a production of Rixie, hosted by me, Hannah Weber, Claire Schweitzer, and Jen Wright. Edited and mixed by myself and Mason Carlton. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>